Guys, welcome to take two. Guys, stress. Oh my god. Oh, Carrie, how could you? How could I what? Oh, how could you do this to us? Oh my god, it's it wasn't her, all my fault. It was not all her fault, guys. Long story short, because she'll take forever to tell it. Carrie Ann was just out on the back deck and went inside for a second, came back out, and it was raining on the computer. So we lost so much work. You know what? It's still there. It's still, we might not even end up needing this. I don't know, man. I I I'm not hopeful. Oh my god! But you know what? We are willing to do anything twice, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my god! Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where you won't forget me, will you? I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2019 biographical drama, Judy. Oh, guys, Judy Garland's back in the studio! (laughs) Oh my god, guys, I'm so excited, but... Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at KickingAndStreamingPodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little queer watch party this month. Guys, if you want to hear the full story about what's going on with the data... You guys can go over to Patreon and check it out this month at some point. We, you, I, we're going to do that story for the Patreon. We, we will have to talk about it. I need to process some emotions. It, I, I hate everything. It'll be okay. But guys, become a Little Onion at the 5. Become, <laughs> a, become a member of the Little Onion tier. For just $5 a month, you get access to all of our bonus features, our bonus episodes, our long-form content. We're doing stuff outside the timeline. We're doing special little eps for you guys. It's a lot of fun. You'll be so glad you joined. Up. Give us your money. Pretty please. Oh my god. You guys get to just pay for us to be silly. <laughs> I'm so mad about the episodes we lost. If you don't pick the fuck up, like <laughs> right the fuck now, you are gonna drag me off this stage. It's Judy Day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stanley. This is Pretzel Day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry it's so late. Miss Carl. Oh, please. I'm Judy. I'm very sorry, but your suite has been released. What do you mean, released? Where exactly is it gone? <laughs> your account was in arrears. Clang, clang, clang with the trolley. Mama, please don't go to sleep now. No, 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 there's the other one. Zing, zing, zing. The kids need a home, Judy. I know what kids need. They need their mother. You can't have the world's greatest entertainer out here without a drink. Frank Sinatra's here? Frank is great, but he is no Judy Garland. I don't have a home. I can't even get a manager. London would offer you a lot of money. Talk of the town is desperate to do a deal with you. You're saying I have to leave my children if I want to make enough money to be with my children? I would very much like to stay. Judy? Have you seen Judy? There's an audience out there waiting to hear you sing. My mouth dry and it could fall apart. Listen to me. Judy! I can't. You'll be fine. On you go. What? Room service. I didn't order anything. There's a man under the trolley. <gasps> Surprise! Ricky! <laughs> You're gonna love me. The kids miss you, and they also want to stay put. I'm coming back for them. You're not listening. I have someone I can rely on now. I'm gonna love you. 
what? You have to be home for your mommy to put you to bed. You're going to be all right. What if I can't do it again? Mama? Mama, are you there? Somewhere. You need to take better care of yourself. You understand? Everybody has their troubles. And I've had mine. I just want what everybody wants. I just seem to have a harder time getting it. Do you take anything for depression? Four husbands. Didn't work. There's a man that I you won't forget me, will you? Promise you won't. You guys, if you have listened to the podcast before, you know that Ross here is just an uber fan of Judy Garland. I love her so much. She's my f- one of my favorite entertainers of all time. My love for her is literally the gayest thing about me. <laughs> it truly is. Oh my God. And you know what? People do like to raise Judy Garland up as this queer icon. Queer people are so drawn to her. It's The appeal of Judy Garland is just so universal. It's like we said, Princess Diana energy, mm-hmm. right? When we did the Wizard of Oz episode. Judy became a kind of symbol for queer resistance. Now, the entirety of the relationship between the death of Judy Garland in 1969 and the Stonewall riots, they're not directly uh, linked in any way. But I think that the death of Judy Garland definitely raised the passions and the spirits of queer people that week. It was the cherry on top of a bad week. Yeah, in that time. And I think that, and from that week, of course, springs the gay liberation movement. Yeah. Which was started by trans women of color. Of course. We must remember. And, you know, by 1970, you are seeing the symbol of queer resistance is the rainbow. Yeah. The rainbow flag. And that's all a tribute to Judy Garland. And, like, remember what we learned in that documentary about how uh, gay men would, like, covertly identify each other in public by being, like, I'm a friend of Dorothy. Exactly. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Are you a friend of Dorothy? Oh. We are friends of Dorothy on this podcast. Yes, we are. Guys, the film we're talking about today focuses mostly on the last years of her life, uh, mainly the Christmas of 1968. She passed away in June 1969. And folks, guys, this is obviously Monday the 13th, but last Friday... June 10th was Judy Garland's 100th birthday. Oh, Judy. She's being commemorated with a statue in the village. It's so nice. In Manhattan. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I just think because now it's been, you know, the woman was 47 years old when she passed away. She could have been 67. Yeah. The way she looked. Poor thing. Her body had just been completely destroyed over the course of her life. She had raging hepatitis by the time she was 27, which is two years younger than you. Sorry to out your age, but like, whatever. (laughs) I've done it before. Yeah, you have. I've made fun of you for almost being 30 on this podcast. Go to hell. I know, I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll be there one day. I'll see how I like it. But 
Directing today, we have Rupert Gould. Hello, Roop. Hi, Roop. How we doing? <laughs> this is, I think, his biggest thing to date. I don't think he's uh, been around filmmaking very long. I mean, he's definitely done a lot of stage productions, I, and I definitely can't count them all. <laughs> but, you know, he did, you know what he did do that I will mention? He did King Charles III in oh. 2017, which is the whole, I would consider that part of the Peter Morgan Mafia oh, of okay. content. <laughs> Okay. It's a, it's a it started out as a play where Queen Elizabeth dies and we get to see the rise uh-huh. of Charles as king. Oh lord. It's like ridiculous. There's a scene where he's being haunted by Diana's ghost. <laughs> oh Shakespeare. It's so amazing, but so yeah, Rupert Gold did do that, but he also did this. <laughs> this movie is based on a biography of Judy Garland called The End of the Rainbow by Peter Quilter. Mm-hmm. And uh I, the only Judy Garland biopic that I've ever read is Gerald Clark's Get Happy. I love that biography. He's a little brutal about everything, but you know what? It makes for some dramatic reading because this poor woman. One of the great... There has never been a star that has shined so bright. Yeah, what you were talking to me about, I'm like, imagine Lady Gaga or Beyonce or Rihanna just being in their late 40s. In extreme poverty. In extreme... Having nothing. Literally nothing. Like one of the world's greatest entertainers. This is Dorothy Gale. Yeah. And she she ended up with nothing in the end. Oh my gosh. Absolutely nothing. No children, no money, nothing. <laughs> I'm already upset. Obviously, she passed away in June 1969, I had mentioned before. She died from an overdose of barbiturates. She was trying to go to sleep. She couldn't sleep. She took some barbiturates and she passed away. Because your tolerance builds after that long. Yeah. And then the amount that you need to get an effect and the overdose amount ends up almost being the same. Mm. So, yes, it is kind of brutal. We are dealing with, you know, the most vulnerable parts of this woman's life. It's a dramatization. We don't need to take it literally. But let's dissect. And you might have guessed it. Oh, boy. But we have names and Oh my god, are they names? (laughs) Ladies and ladies today, playing the incomparable and titular Judy Garland, we have Ms. Renee Zellweger. (laughs) Renee Zellweger. Guys, she becomes her. It's very creepy. Like, the thing is, Renee... (laughs) strikes me as one of those actors who's like, yeah, invited to the party, but no one's really talking to her because people think she's weird. And I mean, like, if you look at interviews with Renee Zellweger, she's just kind of standoffish. And (laughs) I think she's a great actress. She's scary in this. Oh, no. She's scary close to Judy. There are moments where she's not looking right at the camera and like, I'm just seeing the side of her face and I have to do like a double take. It's the Uncanny Valley. Welcome. I'm like, like, oh my god, <laughs> Uncanny Valley, party of two. And I mean, yeah, she's a little too tall. Judy was four foot eleven. Yeah. Very tiny person. <laughs> Guys, of course, we know Renee Zellweger from the Bridget Jones diary bullshit. <laughs> and we know her from Chicago. She's Roxy Hart. So I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise to me that she does her own singing. Indeed. Uh, it's, you know what, we'll, get, we'll talk more about that later, but like... It's effective. It is effective. Like, I, it doesn't completely turn me off to it. I thought that it would be one of those things that broke it for me. But no, it's actually okay. Most of it. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming the lovely Jessie Buckley. Oh my God. She is portraying Rosalind Wilder today, who was an employee of the Talk of the Town and was her personal assistant when she did shows there in, in London. And I love that interview with the actual Rosalind Wilder because Jessie's got her down. Oh yeah. Jessie's got her to a T, that accent. And yes, come at me. 
I can see it in your eyes. She is definitely Ross's type, guys. She is a tall glass of milk with red hair. I just really <laughs> like ginger people. I love redheads. Oh, my God. I do. I used to be one. Yes, you did. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jesse Buckley really does this woman justice. Uh, I do anything. She was in the West End production of A Little Night Music. That's right. If a bitch can do Sondheim, she's immediately in my camp. <laughs> she can sit with us. Come sit with us, Jesse. She was in Chernobyl. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesse Buckley, that you were in Chernobyl. <laughs> Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Finn Wittrick. <laughs> as this has got to be his first time, right? Yeah. You will know him better as Ryan Murphy's little lech boy on <laughs> American Horror Story. He's part of the Ryan Murphy Mafia. Remember when he played Jack Nicholson in season 10? Ew. Oh, my Jack God. Jack Nicholson in The Shining, specifically? No, thank you. Don't you ever tell me Ryan Murphy doesn't have a type. <laughs> he likes him tall, pale, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Finn Wittrick. Dylan McDermott, Matt Balmer, Cheyenne Jackson. <laughs> These are the Murphy men. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how he likes them. Finn is playing Mickey Deans today. Indeed. Mickey Deans, her fifth and final husband. Finn is a Juilliard graduate. He was in a bunch of Arthur Miller stuff. Oh, yeah. While doing that. When he is Rudolph Valentino. Uh-huh. In Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he just... If you didn't hear that, that was me clasping my chest. <laughs> Ross likes Finn. Finn and Gaga? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, biconic! Oh, and then Matt Bomer and Gaga in Hotel? <laughs> Move on! I know, you're right, you're right. Don't get hung up on the hot vampires. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Rufus Sewell. He was with us when we did the holiday. He was also with us when we covered A Knight's Tale at the beginning of this season. <laughs> That's right, that rat bastard guy he had to joust against. Uh, he's in He's in the great Kenneth Branagh version of Hamlet. Yes, he is! Fortinbras! Uh, he's, uh, guys, the legend of Zorro, the illusionist, and I, of course, love him as Alexander Hamilton in HBO's John Adams, and you will see why I'm happy about we that. get it, we get it, we get it. Do you think they might know that we're doing John Adams starting in July? <laughs> I think they do. Long form on the Patreon, become a little onion at the five. <laughs> anyway, Rufus is playing Sid Luff today. Yes, he is. He is indeed. <laughs> her her, her, her uh, third husband. You had to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Like you were trying to name the presidents. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming in his third appearance, Sir Michael Gambon. Yeah. He was with us in Sleepy Hollow. He was Balthus Van Tassel. And then he was with us when we did the King speech, where he was King George V. Mad King George V. Mm, that's the third. But <laughs> come on. How do you not know all the intricacies of British history after being with me for so long? Because I'm not an imperialist simp. Anyway. Oh! Oh! oh, oh. <laughs> I hate imperialism, but you're right. Why do I always simp for toxic things? I don't know, man. Oh, no, it's a problem, isn't it? Time to look at yourself. He's playing Talk of the Town manager Bernard Delfont. Yes! As band leader of Talk of the Town, Burt Rhodes, we've got Mr. Royce Pierson. I like Royce. <laughs> he is a very nice looking gentleman. And I like Burt. Oh, yeah. He can lead my band. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> no! Uh, Royce is uh, in The Witcher. Oh, he is. Which is airing right now on Netflix. And where do you get? Where yeah, on Netflix. Okay, okay, I couldn't remember. Yeah, Gavin likes The Witcher. 
Some honorable mentions here, but uh, we'll start out with a not-so-honorable one. Oh, boy. Uh, Richard Cordery, I'm sure you're a great actor. Uh, You creeped me out. (laughs) You're playing Louis B. Mayer today. Boo! Uh, Evil Austrian-American corrupter Louis B. Mayer. Boo, Wendy Testaburger, boo! How many lives does it take for Louis B. Mayer to ruin to stop him? The world will never know. Oh, God. Oh, my God. We've also got Bella Ramsey playing little Lorna Luft today. We've got Lewin Lloyd playing little Joey Luft. Uh, we've got Gus Berry as Mickey Rooney. We've got Gemma Lee Devereaux as Liza Minnelli. And John Dagleish? Dogleash? <laughs> as Lonnie Donegan, or Donnie Lonegan, as we most certainly call him <laughs> at some point in the recording. It is Lonnie, not Donnie! It's Lonnie Donegan, not Donnie Lonegan. <laughs> I have both La- both work and that's why we mix it up. I have Donnie Lonigan in my notes. <laughs> Do you want to hear what my first note is? I would love to. <laughs> my first note is there are too many vanity cards at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> is this a movie? Oh, nope. Vanity card. How many cooks got to be in this kitchen? <laughs> oh, man. Roadside attractions. Pathé. Like, you name it. They had a hand in it. And I'm already annoyed, right? Mm-hmm. And then, bing, bang, bong. There's Louis B. Mayer being creepy, being predatory. You can't blame him. That was his job. Stop! It was not! It is just the system working how it was designed to. Oh, God. All right. So, Ross, why don't you tee us up for this horribleness? So, obviously, Judy Garland signed on to MGM when she was 15 years old. Yeah. Or, no, 13. She's a baby. 1935. Like, that is way too young to be getting into the business without appropriate caretaking and supervision, which she never had. No, none of it. Her her mother's been plying her with speed for years, and now studio doctors get to give her speed. It's just, there is no supervision of this child going on whatsoever. Like I said, she's like cattle to them. Yeah, you guys, by the way, just trigger warning for all forms of abuse. Yeah. For child abuse, really. Like, we have Darcy Shaw portraying the young Judy Garland here today. She's very good. I, I've never seen her before and probably wasn't meant to. Her energy was right. I don't know how to qualify that, but I liked it. This is the biggest thing she's done, but she looks cute. She looks the part. Just like this terrified shot of young Judy staring into the camera at us Aww. while we hear Louis B. Mayer's voice behind her. Just negging her. As if he's circling her. He's telling her that, you know, she doesn't look like everybody out there. Everybody wants to be her. Everybody wants to live her life. Everybody, you know, we, and it's up to them as filmmakers to keep those dreams alive for people. And I'm like, yes, but what about the actual lives Yeah, that are going on right here? This like, is a literal child. This is a child that got up at 4 a.m. this morning to be plied with drugs, have her hair done, drive through the gates at 6 o'clock to start work at 6.30. Oh my God. She's not getting home until about 8 in the evening. And even then, she can't sleep. Yeah. Because she's so up with speed, and then they ply her with barbiturates to get her to go to sleep so that she can be injected with speed again at four in the morning. Only you have something none of those pretty girls can ever have. You know what that is? No, sir. You have that voice. It'll maybe take you to Oz. Someplace none of those pretty girls can ever go. Still, I'm told you're unhappy. Which, like, even if you were to take the drugs out of the equation... It's still impossible. She's still not loving the life of a child star. She wants to do things that normal teenagers do. 
She wants to go to the soda shop. She wants to go dance with her friends. You know, she wants to talk to cute boys. Indeed. She just never had a chance to become an actual human being. No, she didn't. She never had a chance. And, like, they're walking through the Wizard of Oz set. Oh, I know. Isn't it great? Oh, my God. Who else have we had in? Shirley Temple this morning. Everybody loves Shirley. Let's see how Judy measures up. And then that big title card and the big red sparkly letters. <laughs> Judy. It's so camp. I love it. I know. I love that we have to be in a constant pendulum between I'm living for it and oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah, no, that's going to be this whole movie. Back and forth, back and forth. In the 50s, what Judy Garland would do is she would run out of money because her husband, Sid Luft, her third husband, spent all of her money gambling. And then she spent all of her money frivolously because she had no understanding of finances. And didn't she have managers who stole from her too? She did. In the early 60s, she did when she did the TV show. Great. They took all that shit and ran. Fabulous. She also had immense tax debt. And, you know... Yeah, she didn't pay taxes for like 10 years. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, there came a point after the Luft divorce, which was very messy in public. She had two children with him, Lorna, who has been on the show before, like yeah. when we did Grease 2. Yes. When she, we're talking about a fictional Lorna today. <laughs> but And Joey, of course, the younger boy. But, you know, what she would do after the very messy divorce is, you know, she said, listen, I gotta work because we gotta eat. We've got no money and I can do it if I do concerts. So you can stay here, go to school, have a normal life, or you can come with me. She let them talk about it and they just came to her and said, you know, when do we leave? Oh my These children have also had very tumultuous lives themselves because this is where we see for the first time adult Judy, Lorna, and Joe together. And it really was the we three in those days. But they kind of knew how to deal with her at this point. Lorna in, there's a great, uh, there's a great autobiography written by Lorna Luft. It's called Me and My Shadows. In the book, she's talking about how she used to take the innards out of Judy's pills and fill them with sugar so that they wouldn't affect her as badly and then having to call you know emergency services all the time or yeah her poor for- kids force her imagine having to make your own mother throw up oh my god like it was just it was rough for them we can see here Lorna Joe and Judy because she would include the kids in the act sometimes. Oh, my God. They're waiting to go on for a concert. And, you know, the manager comes up to her and hands her $150 in cash. That's so cheap. In an envelope. For, for her to, Judy Garland? For her to perform. I have your money. Oh. <laughs> Crowd's going to go crazy out there. Oh. So it's $150. Uh, I know it's not maybe what you're used to, but... Yeah. No, no, I appreciate it. All right. I do. Okay, you ready? Sure. Follow me. This is Judy Garland, the greatest, one of the greatest entertainers of screen and stage. $150 for a concert. In 1968, this this woman sold out 27 straight weeks at the Palace Theater. Not to mention Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall, the greatest live record album of all time. Mm-hmm. She's that woman sang 23 songs in a row, flawlessly live. I listen to that album and cry. I know you do. I'm so queer, Carrie. (laughs) And listen, on top of all that, they're living in a hotel. Or they were living in a hotel. 
Yeah, indeed. We get to the hotel and the concierge there has to like go get the manager and the manager has to notify Judy that their suite has been released because they haven't paid the bill in so long. Oh my God. The room got released. So unrelease it. Hand it back. We need to sleep in it. Is everything okay? No, no, darling. These people have let us down very badly, leaving us stranded without so much as a change of socks. Everything is in storage. I could have rooms anywhere in the city, but I chose this hotel. Well, not anymore. I wouldn't let my worst enemies stay here. And so we have to go to Brentwood. <laughs> we have to go to Brentwood, where where Nicole Brown Simpson was murdered. Oh God! No, what? I'm sorry. That was I'm sorry. I always take it back to OJ. I'm sorry. <laughs> but she is going to take Lorna and Joe to stay with their father tonight because they don't have anywhere else to stay. Yeah. This is Sid Luft, Judy Garland's third husband. This is Rufus Sewell. Sid Luft and Judy got married at the beginning of the 50s. He was a film producer himself and a gambler. Yeah. Uh, a businessman. He was mo- he was moderately successful when they got married. He put together the first remake of A Star is Born <laughs> starring Judy Garland. And guys, crimes were committed. Don't bang the table. I, oh my God. First of all, they had to slaughter the film because it was way too long. <laughs> and they eliminated Judy Garland's best numbers and they're just gone now. We'll never see them. And she didn't win the Oscar. They gave it to fucking Grace Kelly for the country girl. Are you serious? Judy Garland was giving birth to Joe the night of the Oscars. (gasps) They literally brought a camera to the hospital for her acceptance speech. Oh my god! To go live with her with her newborn baby in her arms to accept the Oscar. And she lost And they called Grace Kelly's name. That camera crew tore out of there. (laughs) Oh no! Literally was yanking the mic out of her (laughs) nightie. Oh my god! And, like, treated her like absolute chattel. It's awful. Anyway, she's dropping them off. And, you know, Sid's just like, I'm just wondering where my kids are going to sleep tomorrow night. And she's like, wherever I tell them. I know they should be in bed, okay? It just doesn't always work that way. And it gets late because nobody wants to pay to see me at 2 in the afternoon. And I have to work because they need things. They need an education, Judy. They need 10 hours of sleep. Oh, just to hell with this. Just call me a cat. I want custody during the school year. Yeah, that's the thing. Sid is, like, trying to get her to see the fact that these kids are not living stable lives being on the road with her all the time. Yeah, no. He wants to have them during the school year so they can, like, have normal existences, go to school, have friends, normal kid things. I want the kids during the school year. Over my dead body. Sid is rightfully concerned. Judy was kind of out of control. She was. And, but the thing is, you know, she wanted so desperately to do good and to do right by her children. She just had a very debilitating disease. Mm -hmm. And I wish more people would see it as the disease that it is. This is not a matter of willpower. It's not her choice to do this. Like her brain literally developed while on these medications. If she could choose not to do this, she absolutely wouldn't. Exactly. And she doesn't have anywhere to go tonight. Nope. So she's going to have to go hit a party with eldest daughter Liza (laughs) in the hills. Crazy. By the way, Renee's wearing this fabulous red and gold Paisley suit. Oh, I know. It's iconic. When she's walking through all those people to get to Liza in the middle of the party, and everybody's like, it's fucking Judy Garland. It's Judy Judy goddamn Garland. (laughs) All the the gays are getting higher and higher in pitch. It's Judy Garland. 
And Liza Minnelli, because yeah. she was famous on Broadway by that point. Oh, my God. Judy's, like, out on the balcony by herself, and this gorgeous Finn Wintrock walks up to her. You said gorgeous. <laughs> he's Finn Wintrock, Ross. But he's, Finn Wintrock is Mickey Deans, so <laughs> it's whatever. He'll be our leading head of hair for this movie. <laughs> Indeed. And he, he hands her a drink. He's like... Excuse me, this is for you. We, we, we can't have the world's greatest entertainer out here without a drink. Frank Sinatra's here? <laughs> She's so funny. <laughs> That's the thing that people always said about Judy, though. Like, she had this torrid life in the tabloids, but everyone always said that she was funny as hell, witty as hell, and seemed generally happy. She's also one of the greatest actresses of all time. Yeah. So let's examine that a little bit. <laughs> one of the greatest actresses of all time. Ranked. <laughs> okay, Ranked fine. Ranked everything. All right, okay. She's number four. <laughs> number on, four. On, on the American Film Institute's official ranking. I mean, she was good, but number four. Anyway, sorry. Do you know who the top ones are? I, I bet they're going to make me mad. Humphrey Bogart. Ew. And Katherine Hepburn. Now there's a queen. Okay. <laughs> In the morning when Mickey and her have been up all night... <laughs> And they are creating a tower of empties <laughs> on top of this guy with books. I love that. I love that so much. And like they've gotten it really they've they've gotten it impressively high. <laughs> and then Mickey, like the dicky is, gets up and like lifts the top of that white piano up to slam it in the way she goes, You can <laughs> And he sits down, he starts playing piano. Because he's a piano player, Mickey Deans. He's playing piano for her, and he's talking about wanting to see her again. And, like, I just, guys, listen, I guess Mickey Deans, for all his faults, was probably one of the better relationships she had. But he's just so, he's so smooth and, like, slick. And way younger than her. Like, way younger than her. Like, I always have questions about that when someone is significantly younger than somebody else. But, like, for all intents and purposes, he's fine at this point. And he's so cheeky with her. Um, uh, you ever want to get together, just click your heels. That's how it works, right? We then transfer from one Mickey to another. Oh boy, we're going back in time again. We're back in we're back at MGM in the golden ugh, in the golden age of Hollywood. <gasps> Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland were America's sweethearts. Yes, they were the OG America's sweethearts from about 1939 to 1946. Like th- the entirety of World War II, they were the kids <laughs> next door in America. It's and of course this all comes through in the Andy Hardy film. Yeah. I actually don't know how many pictures there are starring Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. But we get this sequence between the two of them where they're at a diner and they're eating. Mm -hmm. Judy Garland was never allowed to eat anything but hot broth so that they could keep weight off. That's so awful. For the camera. And yeah, it's just so awful. And then Mickey Mickey Rooney's sitting there eating whatever the fuck he wants because he's a boy and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Oh, my God. And guys, there's also journalists and photographers here. You think it's like a cute little date between them, but this is a photo op. This horrible, like, studio matron person that they've got with them. It's like her publicist. Yeah, someone who is literally watching her and providing her with her drugs. Yeah, she tries to, Judy tries to pick the hamburger up to eat it. No hamburger. Mr. Mayor said very specifically you are not to eat the food. I'm honestly very hungry. 
Those will take the edge off. No, I gotta sleep tonight. Halpert will give you something for that later, down the hatch. And then, like, she puts that little pill on the table for her. And this this just makes me want to cry. I know. Because she looks up at her and she goes, no, please, I have to sleep tonight. Yeah. Because she can never sleep. This poor child. Like, she's chemically wired. Literally. She, she literally does not have a choice. I just, it's, it's so helpless. There is no one in her life who gives a shit about her that can do anything about her situation. Like you feel like you're watching a long car crash. Like, it's already over. It's it's already happened. We can't change it now. And it's just, that makes it that much worse. When we go back to 1968, we get this scene between her and another publicist. <laughs> a, ma- a gentleman, a man. I don't know this character's name, and I don't care to find it out. He's a blonde guy, whatever. <laughs> He's telling her that there is opportunity for her in London because by this point she was basically she was basically unemployable. Yeah. No one would work with her because she was so difficult in the earlier days. She she couldn't be insured. She would show up hours late for performances. She'd run off set all day and lock herself in her dressing room. She was kind of a nightmare to work with because she was mentally imbalanced. She was so sick. Yeah, she was a sick woman and no one recognized it as such. When she when they tried to get her drug treatment, the drug treatment was more drugs. Aww. They got her drug treatment for speed and they gave her more speed. And like the thing is that nobody over in Europe is as familiar with her reputation in the States. Yeah. So they think that if she goes to London, she can get some work finally. She's got a few weeks late at the talk of the town. Yeah. In Soho. But now she's faced with the Another huge dilemma, do I take Lorna and Joe with me or do they stay here? Oh, God. And she would very much like to take them with, but I think she's had a little time to think about it since her conversation with Sid Mm -hmm. about how they could probably use a little stability for a little bit. Yeah. They don't go to school regularly. They're with her constantly, not knowing where they're going to sleep from week to week. And, like, she's trying to cheer these kids up. I love how she's saying, I could leave or I could hide in the closet. Oh, yeah, this is wrenching. Oh, I hate it. She's getting in the wardrobe and, like, oh, this is my new apartment. The pool's over there. The tennis court's over there. Yeah, and she's like, would you like to come in and play tennis? Like, they're all three of them in the wardrobe together. It's so sad. You wouldn't mind, would you, Joe? I'd love it. Maybe I'll stay put. Hmm? Would you visit me once in a while? In Joey's wardrobe? Oh, sure. There's room for three. <laughs> and I just, my heart breaks for her. She, she literally is just trying to scrape together enough personhood so she can be a mother to her kids. I don't know if this is being portrayed as the last time she ever physically saw her children. Oh, God, I hope not. Because she she, she went to London and she stayed for the rest of her life. Yeah. Because this is a mere six months before her death. Oh, man. Cut to London at the Picador Hotel. <gasps> Michael Gambon is here. Lovely London. Remember, he's Bernard Delfont, the uh, club owner, the owner of Talk of the Town. Ah, oh, there she is. <laughs> oh. The fabulous Miss Judy Garland. Oh. Oh, How are you? I'm good. Oh, I just adore London, my home away from home. (laughs) Marvelous. The the way that he looks like he's 49 or whatever. (laughs) 
the makeup they tried to do on that, and then who's just behind him on the stairs? Hey, babe! Guys, it's Rosalind Wilder! Hello. Hello, I'm Rosalind Wilder. I'll be looking after you while you're in London. Wonderful. Oh, lovely. We have a schedule printed for you. And, like, she's she's got this printed-out schedule for how her days are going to go. <laughs> and she's taking a look at it like, mm, I'm not doing any of this. <laughs> she's, like, crossing things off on the schedule. Nope, I will be drinking in that hour. And Jenny. then I will be taking a cocktail of pills. Like... And, like, Rosalind takes her to the rehearsal space, right, where mm-hmm. she can get together with the band. They've taped off the dimensions of the stage so she can get used to the space. This is where we meet band leader Burt Rhodes. Oh, man. He can burnt my road. Stop it! I- <laughs> he is very handsome and very nice to Judy, even though Judy's not very nice to him. When he jumps up from the piano as she approaches. Oh, Burt! Judy is nervous. She's apprehensive. She doesn't feel like she needs to rehearse. She's literally like, nah, I don't really feel like it. (laughs) She thinks it's too damp in the space. She was so overwhelmed. She was so afraid of what the public thought of her by that point Mm -hmm. that it was all just too much. Like when she's walking out to the, you know, taped off edge of whatever stage she'll be on. You know, they're talking about the layout of the theater. Yeah. And where's the audience? Wrapped around you, all three sides. Mm-hmm. And they're on one level? Four. How many tiers was Carnegie Hall? Five. It's like she's not even there. She's like remembering when she could sell out an entire space like Carnegie Hall in America. Yeah. And she hates that she has to be here so far away from her kids. I mean, in America, she was also overworked and underpaid, but at least there she could be with her kids. It's opening night at Talk of the Town. Oh my God. Rosalind told her. That there will be critics there opening night. So she needed to rehearse. She didn't rehearse. She went back to the hotel, sat up all night in the suite, took pills and drank. And now she is not ready to go on. She is still literally in her slip. Like, it's literally almost curtain call for her. Rosalind has to jump in a cab and go over to the hotel to scoop her up off the bathroom toilet. She is in her nighty. Yes! Judy, it's Rosalind. How are you? I don't feel... Too good. Do you know what time it is? I said I don't feel good. What kind of goddamn lock is that? If I lock a door, I like it to stay that way. That's completely understandable. They're trying to dress her. They put her in this ghastly floral number that's not doing her any favors. Listen, this is based on an actual dress. Yeah, and I hate them for that. And they got it pretty close. (laughs) The actual dress is much better, but she's obviously very upset. When I lock a door, I want it to stay locked. She doesn't even know where she is right now. Yeah, I know. She literally doesn't know what city she's performing in. She's that addled. Like, the shot of Rosalind leading her behind the stage, the way she's looking around... And tr- picking up her head constantly. Oh God! And I'm you know I'm sorry. I've forgotten about Renee. Yeah. Haven't you completely forgotten about Renee? Yeah. I'm just thinking about Judy. It's just Judy. Just Judy. <laughs> Okay, Jack McFarlane. (laughs) And like, guys, as soon as they get up to the wing of the stage, Judy develops stage fright. She's choking. Oh, no. She's choking hard. What's the matter? 
The brilliant energy around her would reach the back of that house. Yeah, like from the moment Rosalind pushes her out there, she knows exactly where she is and what her role is. She turns it on. She just begins charming the hell out of the audience. Oh, seems we have a band here. May as well put them to use. This is the end of romance. She does great on the back couple numbers, but this first one, it's like, it's too nasal for me. You know what I mean? It's too Renee nasal for me, for me to believe it is Judy. It's called By Myself. Yeah. It's the eyes. It is. It's those Judy eyes, both with Renee and the actual Judy. All of her emotion just pours out at you from those eyes in every song she sings. One of my favorite things about Judy as a performer that Renee has really managed to capture here is the way that music always seemed to move through Judy like she's a lightning rod. Mm -hmm. It's literally like she's being struck by lightning and then the music goes in her ears and ping pongs around in her body and comes back out through her mouth. Yeah. And the way she would move and gesture and gesticulate and all that fun stuff. From this shot of her after she gets done performing. She's just sitting by herself in the dressing room on the verge of tears. I don't know how she can't feel good after all of this. Because she barely made it, Ross. Oh, well, I guess you're right, because that is what she's worried about, isn't it? She's worried she won't be able to do this again. Rosalind comes in and is like, listen, you were spectacular. I thought you were very good. What if I can't do it again? (laughs) I think this might have been the first time in her life where she really was afraid of that. Yeah. She'd come back so many times. What are the odds I'll get to do it again? By this point, you know? And she was at yet again another low Mm -hmm. professionally. And I just... I can't even imagine... How the entire world could universally love this person. But then she actually had very little love in her personal life. Oh, Ross, I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know. But that, I mean, the emulation she has of a great performance is very resonant with queer people. Mm-hmm. Queer people have to be good performers to survive. 
In a way, you yeah. You know they're going to respect the hell out of her. Yeah. Because not only can she give a stellar performance like this, but she's universally loved. Oh, God. Someone for people to look up to. Oh, um, my God. Yep, it's time to turn the tears to rage. We've got to talk about the fake birthday party. Back in the bad old days. Judy is young Judy. Yeah. Back at MGM. He's literally hiding on a, on a set. Trying to sleep. Trying to catch a few Z's. It's her lunch hour. Yeah. And she's choosing to sleep rather than eat. I would rather have sleep than hot broth right now. Exactly. And that dumb publicist lady is like, get up. We have to go do the birthday thing. Oh my God. God. When you realize it's a set. Uh, I, and it's not uh, even her birthday. This is literally just promotional material for the studio. Yeah, because her actual birthday is like in the middle of a shooting schedule. Yeah, and they don't have time to do it then. So we're going to do it now! The scene, the, the the actual incident that this is based off of, I've seen the actual footage for it. It wasn't filmed on a set, but they did stage a faux birthday party for Judy Garland at Louis B. Mayer's home. Oh, that's so gross. At his pool with Mickey Rooney and Deanna Durbin and Freddie Bartholomew and all those other child stars. Not a movie executive surrounded by children in bathing suits. When Judy goes up to the birthday cake and she has to ask if it's fake. I know! Or not, because it could be, you don't know. Like, Because like, you know she's looking at that cake and going, Mmm, cake, I know it's a fake birthday party, but am I going to get to have it? Any of it? And you know the answer is no. And like she turns to the publicist lady and she's like, You know I get an hour for lunch. It's in my contract. What are you talking about? I get an hour. I want to have it. I don't see why I shouldn't. Nobody takes it. Come on. I love young Judy's little rebellious streak, though. Oh, this is my favorite. She just she just really turns on her. Because <laughs> you know what else there is there? That's definitely real. The pool. Yes. The tank. And she fixes her eyes on that tank like she's gonna jump. The pub, I love the publicist. Don't you dare! She doesn't want her to ruin her hair. Oh God. And she does. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my goodness. Back in the 60s, Judy's on stage singing one of her best songs. The, the trolley, trolley song from Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh my God, Renee is serving. I know. The way she's going back and forth with those backup dancers. Again, still Renee Nasal, but at the same time, she, she made it a lot of fun. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. Zing, zing, zing went my heartstrings. From the moment I saw him, I fell. But it's this whole montage that's flashing back and forth between 1939 and 1968, where these 30-year-apart shots showing her going throughout her day, you know, speed to wake her up, barbiturates to get her to go to sleep, she can't sleep in the future, she can't sleep in the past. Yeah. Like, it, it's just this, oh my god, she's getting lockjaw, she's, you know, break, actually breaking legs rehearsing. Aww. Guys, 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 we've arrived at my favorite part oh, of the movie. We sure have. One night after performance at Talk of the Town, uh, Judy's asking Rosalind if there if anyone came to the stage door. And Rosalind's like, well, I'd have to check. And Judy's like, you know what? I'm just going to go. It's fine. 
Don't even worry about it. They part ways, and there are a couple of people at the stage door. Stan and Dan. Stan and Dan, who are a couple. Yes, they are. They are a queer couple who lives in London. And, you know, they've been to see Judy a few times. They're super fans. Oh, my God. Because, like, I think they didn't, they they wanted to catch her when she was here previously, but uh-huh. they missed her. Indeed. And so they've been there, like, every night cheering for her, the same songs over and over again. They're not sick of it. I didn't mention them at first, either. Th- this is Andy Nyman as Dan and Daniel Cerquera as Stan. Oh, I also love that it's Dan and Stan. I know, right? It's so cutesy. And, guys... She asks these two queens if they want to go get dinner. You mean with us? Oh, well, I, I don't want to impose. Oh, uh, yes, I mean, um, I mean that, that, that would be beyond, um, where's, where's it going to be open? Um, on a Tuesday after midnight. Um, if, if it's trouble, I don't... No, 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 um, then we'll find somewhere, won't we? Of, of course. course. Right, okay, um, well. Oh, I wouldn't want to impose. I wouldn't want to impose? <laughs> Judy. Ross would absolutely faint. I would not get through the evening. (laughs) I'd pass away. But it's like London at 11 o'clock on like a Wednesday. Yeah, guys, if you know anything about Europe, they be closing shit at 7 (laughs) p.m. You know what? Unless it's a 24-hour chain, they are closing it up. They need to rest. They understand this. So they... (laughs) Ross. They do. So so Stan and Dan invite her back to their flat. To make really gross omelets. For Judy Garland. <laughs> Ross, could you imagine? Ju- Judy Garland asking to go, imagine if we encountered Gaga. <laughs> and she took us out for drinks and then was like, can I come back to your place? And make scrambled eggs. I love it. I could be launched at the sun. Oh, I know. Are you kidding me? Judy and them are playing cards. We're drinking. I'd be beside myself. Like, she loves them instantly. And she, you know, she could because she trusts them. Yeah. They're not they're not anyone who's trying to get anything from her but a little acknowledgement. And they just love to bask in her presence. Yeah, they just want to be around her. They want to be with her for her. Yeah. And oh guys, this is where it starts to hurt me. Yeah, it's uh Remember the first time we recorded this and I came over and told you how devastated I was? Yes. It's like, I'm a little devastated after all of this. This is devastation point number one. You know that point in the Mario level where you go, and you can, you can come back to it when you yeah, die? The checkpoint. The checkpoint. The save point. This is the save. This is the devastation point number one. God, because Stan has had too much to drink and he's passed out on the love seat. He'll never forgive himself. I know. That he <laughs> fell asleep while she was there. And Dan and Judy are talking about, like, you know, their lives and how Stan at one point was in jail for obscenity. He was in jail for being a homosexual. Uh, no, exactly. But that was the technical charge was obscenity. But yeah. I they, don't know when that changed either. It was like. 1964? Yeah, I in think? the mid 60s. Yeah. Like all these gay men who were put in jail just for being gay were retroactively forgiven when that stopped being an offense. A lot of them posthumously. Yeah, no. Th- fuck that. Yeah, I know. It's It was so awful. It's sweet that you come to see me. Sometimes I spy the two of you out there. Feel like I have allies. I think that's a very interesting choice of words. 
Uh huh. Like honestly, and that's where Dan had meant. That's where Dan mentions that they'd missed her last time she was there. Yeah, because of Stan being in jail. I mean, what's he gonna do? Go by himself? Yeah, no, never. Without the person that he loves, and Dan is already almost in tears, and then. She absolutely destroys him. Dan sits down at the standing piano and starts playing Get Happy for Her. I got your trouble. Come on, get happy. Let her chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah. I love the miniature Toto sitting on top of the piano. Oh, there's so many great things on top of the piano. There's all these framed pictures of Dan and Stan and their lives together. The way Dan is in euphoria because he's playing the piano and Judy Garland is sitting behind him singing the song he's playing. He is truly complete in this moment. Just the pure unmitigated joy this is all bringing him to be in her presence. is It's the most darling thing. And he begins to... To sob uncontrollably. He can't believe this is happening. Yeah. She means so incredibly much to the both of them. Something that unites the both of them in their relationship is their love of her. Yeah. It's not what their relationship is based off of, I doubt. <laughs> but, you know, it, they she she meant that to people. Yeah. She was a solidifying thing to not just queer people, but to people from all walks of life. Like the way she hugs him from behind and she's staring at all of the general knickknackery they have of her. Mm-hmm. And you know, she just she just breaks a little grin. It's so sweet. I think she feels like a slight amount of fulfillment in that moment. Yeah, you like know what I, I, mean? I really mean something to people. Mm-hmm. We finally see Mickey Deans again. He comes to her hotel room under a trolley cart. Okay, Mickey's here. Great. The elation in her eyes, though. She's so happy to see a friend. Yeah, here it is. Another man to (laughs) make her feel all right. I know. Uh, And, like, they immediately get busy. Like, it just cuts to the next scene and, like, everybody's half-dressed eating breakfast from under metal trays. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, boy, you're right. You're right. It's just gonna, it's just gonna continue to spiral from here. When we go from here to the bar where we're hanging out with staff from Talk at the Town. Yeah, like, Rosalind's there and Burr is there. Uh And they're just having drinks at the pub. And Mickey is going on and on and on about how Judy should rebrand. Yeah. Like, she should tour with the Rolling Stones or something. I mean, listen, I would love to hear a song incorporating <laughs> the Beatles and Judy Garland as a featured artist. Yeah. You know, kind of <laughs> kind of how like, oh, what's his name? Bring the action. <laughs> see us in the club. <laughs> Bring the action. Yeah, that's what is that? Will I am and Britney Spears? <laughs> something like that. Beatles and the Beatles and Judy Garland. <laughs> oh God. When you see us in the club. <laughs> All eyes on us. <laughs> like, I don't know you, Bert. Judy says you're great. And these, these, these are just new ideas, you know? But what if it's not Judy and Bert? What if it's, what if it's Judy and the Rolling Stones? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's something, right? Are you going to ask him or should I? 
No, obviously this idea doesn't sound that hot. It's Judy and the Beatles. No. They're very different. Yeah, both Bert and Rosalind are like, oh, okay. I love the side look that Rosalind is giving. Like, after he speaks, she's like... Okay. She smells the shit on him. She does. She knows immediately that he's playing that he's playing around with her. And I mean, Rosalind, I guess, decides to shut up. I mean, both Ro- telepathically and verbally. Rosalind cannot upset her because she's got a television interview coming up that evening. Indeed, indeed. And oh my, can we talk about the dress for a thousand years? Oh, this this. Is it pink or it, is it red? It's red. <laughs> it is red number that she's in with the hair. Oh my God. And the thin straps and the gorgeous jewelry. Oh, those earrings. I could die. The interviewer starts uh, lobbing her some hardballs. Exactly. He asks her about her childhood at the studio and how that's impacted her own children. Mm-hmm. And uh, it gets very personal very fast. And she definitely bristles. Well, you tell me how I end up with such incredible kids. But I wasn't suggesting. Well, no, everybody suggests things like I'm like I'm not a real person, but I am. You understand I'm only Judy Garland for an hour a night. The rest of the time I'm I'm part of a family. I just want what everybody wants. I just seem to have a harder time getting it. I love that interview with Lorna Love where she's like, "Guys, it wasn't all, you know, an MGM musical, I swear to God. My mother didn't go into the kitchen, open the fridge, and start singing. <laughs> she was a real person. She was a real person who took care of us, was a mother to us, to the best of her ability. She was a normal person. She said, I didn't even become aware of the fact that my mother was famous until I was about five or six. <laughs> oh, God. Because you don't have anything to compare it to as a child. Exactly. Their neighbors are Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. Which girl? Frank Sinatra was not Frank Sinatra to little Lorna Luft. She Uncle was Frank. mommy's friend, Uncle you know. Frank. <laughs> her par- Her parents' friends, you know. It's midnight. Judy's late again, and Rosalind is literally in the alley with her begging, please, for me, just please do this for me. They're gonna start throwing shit. We can't refund a full... A full house, Andre. We shall have to (laughs) refund a full house. And Judy, Judy gives it right back to her. Classy little number, aren't you? Just, just get up and sing. You just want to serve me up to them like I'm their goddamn dinner. Judy, I'm sorry, but that is not what I'm trying to do. Don't I'm trying to help you. Judy, me. You're not my friend. You don't care about me. Rosalind's like, okay, I've got no other choice. I guess Lonnie Donegan is going to have to go on. <laughs> Donnie Lonegan? <laughs> and she's like, over my dead body. Oh, she's hell like, hell no. She's marching into the theater, <laughs> going down the hallway to backstage. Rosalind's like imitating the way her shoulders are going back and forth. <laughs> and Donnie Lonegan... Lonnie Donegan? What is it? It's Lonnie, Lonnie Donegan. Don- Lonnie Donegan, the goofball that he is, is getting ready to go. He's a Welsh singer. He's adorable. He was famous in the UK in the 60s. He's getting ready to go on. He's all excited. Okay, Judy cleared her spot. I'm going to have the whole ticket. And he's standing there with his guitar with a grin on his face, ready to go on. And she waltzes right past him and goes, Lonnie. Oh my God. <laughs> and he just the way his face just falls. Oh, and guys, it's bad. From the moment she steps out there, it's clear she's in no condition. 
She's so drunk. She's like stumbling out to the edge of the stage and she's getting heckled by some idiot. When she legit looks out at them and asks them if they're Chicago. Oh my God. Uh, she doesn't even know where she is. Is this, is this Chicago? Who is it? So let's say San Francisco. Chicago, San Francisco. What the hell town are we in anyway? <laughs> Sing us a song. Is that you again? I thought you were gonna have a drink. You drank the bar dry. And guys, it's all happening in front of the club owner. It's all happening in front of Michael Gambon. When that guy goes, you drank the bar dry. Oh no! And she just freezes, staring at that man that said it. Why did you spoil it for everyone? How am I supposed to do this up here with you harassing me like that down there? Why don't you come up here and you do the show and I'll take the chair and do the, the fatuous back talk, you goddamn fucking baboon! Oh no, she's having a fit. Oh God. Rightfully so, her feelings have been hurt, but two hours, two hours she's been making these people wait. And Delphine is not having it. No. He's very upset. And I cannot believe the way all of these people begin to boo Judy Garland. Yeah. Booing Judy Garland. Yeah, no, yeah. Mm. Do you boo Beyonce? No. Do you boo Gaga? Never. Do you boo Rihanna? Over my dead body? Exactly. Oh my God. No one boos Judy. You just don't do it. At least I don't. Why am I getting indignant? She's been gone for 50 years. <laughs> I know, I, sweetheart. I know. <laughs> okay. Here's. <laughs> I can't. You need to I don't up. know what I. <laughs> Right. This scene! I know! We're back in the past. This is right after she jumped in the fake pool, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And this is where the creep factor gets turned up to a thousand with Mr. Mayor, because now she's getting scolded for ruining the shoot. We're on the Kansas set. On the Wizard of Oz Kansas yeah, set! Yeah, and we're being shut in the barn with Louis B. Mayer. I did 18 hours yesterday. I mean, I couldn't hardly remember my own name. Your name is Francis Gum. You're a fat ankle, snag tooth rube from Grand Rapids. Your father was a faggot and your mother only cares about what I think of you. Now do you remember who you are, Judy? Jesus, Lou, okay. Um, oh my God. You, you don't have to turn the evil up to, to turbo. Like, you don't have to do that. Oh God, and just- The way he goes, we like you loyal. We need you to do what I say. That's so creepy! That is a child! Like, when he's talking about, you know where the heart is? And then touches her child chest. Oh my god! I, 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 uh, Louis V. Mayer was known to be handsy with the kids. It just step away from her! Yeah, like he's, oh god. Who knows what he did? Honestly. Like in reality, who knows what Louis B. Mayer actually did like the actual scope of his violence yes and like guys it just it makes chills run up my spine every time he gets right in her face and goes don't ever hold up a movie of mine it's her situation is so helpless she has one living parent who really does not care about her. Yeah. Only cares about the check she brings in. Yeah. And then has these horrible abusers these doctors to deal with, I j it, it just makes me want to sob. Mm -hmm. That child never had anyone. She had everything 
and nothing at the same time. Yeah. The next day, Judy is having lunch with Delphont, the club owner. Mm -hmm. She's trying to smooth over the horrible incident of being late and drunk and being booed off stage in his club. And it's weird because we see that he kind of has the same power over her now that LB had over her when she was a kid. I mean, she literally has nothing, so... Yeah, and he's the only one who's going to employ her right now. And, like, he's pretty nice about it given what she put him through he's like listen if you want to keep your job i want you to go see this doctor i know so we can give you more things to mess you up yeah no he he wants her to get evaluated we get this scene where she does go to the doctor and you know she she has been she's been weary of doctors since she was 13 years old. They've been over prescribing her literally her whole life. They're men in back lots with syringes to her. Oh my god. Which is just scary. And sick. It's just a scary fucking thought that there is a man waiting for your 13-year-old self around the corner with a syringe. Oh my god. Like and <laughs> when he's like, "Look, do you take anything for depression?" Four husbands. didn't work. I'd say you're underweight. Well, you're flirting with me now. Mr. Delphont asked me to give you something, so I'm going to give you a vitamin injection and some anti-inflammatories for your vocal cords. And, like, this doctor is injecting some kind of vitamin injection. (laughs) Vitamin, because we're British, right? (laughs) Yes, vitamin injection into her arm. And I just have, in all capital letters, what the fuck are they putting in her now so she can perform? How much more can one body take? He claims it's anti-inflammatory. And, I mean, it should be, right? Poor Judy Garland, ravaged by hepatitis. Yeah. Ravaged. I don't know how her liver didn't get up and walk out. (laughs) I really don't. Yeah. When he's like, (laughs) when he goes... You're definitely underweight. And she goes, well, you're flirting with me now. (laughs) I love her so much. In this next scene, we get Mickey and Judy spending some more time together. Mickey has this idea for a new money-making venture for her so she doesn't have to perform anymore. Mm -hmm. It's this idea for a chain of movie theaters that are basically just going to be Judy Garland movie houses, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just going to have to do all of these ribbon cuttings and openings and things so that she can make extra scratch so that she can stay near her children. And like, there's sitting on a bench by this reflecting pool. We might be in Kensington Gardens. Yeah, we might. We might be. I don't know. I want us to get married. I feel like any moment we're not married is wasted. I mean, do you remember Scotty Beckett? He played my kid brother in Listen, Darling in 37 or 38. He was the sweetest kid. And last year, just like that, he's dead from something or other. That and I'm happy with you. And shouldn't we grab hold of that? And, like, here's the thing. They're, like, making eyes at each other. I do believe that their affection for each other is rather deep. Well, I don't know if I agree. Well, maybe not so much Mickey for her as her for Mickey. Like, Mickey Mickey does kind of seem like a little bit of a scam artist. Well, no, here's the thing. I think that he's enthralled with her. I think he's low-key obsessed with her. But at the same time, while she is eating up all of that affection, because she did, she constantly needed somebody. Yeah, she, she needed- wanted. She wanted to be taken care of 
she needed to be taken care of yeah. is the thing. And, you know, she, like I said, she had no competency with finance. And I think she looked at Mickey Deans and this opportunity and said, that's money. Yeah. That's money. And I need that so that I can get back to my real job, which is being a mother. So I have a five, six, seven, eight. We're getting hitched. Yeah, no. Husband number five, Mickey Deans. Uh, that iconic blue outfit with the pillbox hat. Oh, and with the pearls dangling from it. And the feathers. My goodness. Uh, here's something that someone has to explain to me. They go to this old church. They don't get married in a church. They get married at like a justice or something. Oh, it's the Chelsea Registry Office. Yeah, and then they go to this old abandoned church where they set off fireworks indoors. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Oh, and this it's a very happy montage with her singing that, For once in my life, I have someone who needs me. Oh, sitting on the stool with the red sequin bow. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Oh, and the, oh, the silver suit. Yes. Uh, the silver suit. For one in my life, I've got Mickey who needs me. Knock, knock. Guess who it is? It's your past. Oh, boy. Sid Luft has arrived in London. Ex-husband Sid Luft. He's basically here to be like, hey, you remember those uh, children you left behind? Remember those kids we had together? You got time to get married, but not time to be with your children? Because I remember Lorna, that interview with Lorna Luft where she was like, I saw it on the television. (gasps) I didn't know she was getting married. Oh, no. She didn't tell them. But that's why it kind of leads me to believe that she probably didn't feel that deeply for Mickey Deans. Yeah, I she, know. She would have told her children if she thought it was that important. You think th- she wanted the money to get back to them? I think she's. I think that he's a plane ticket and a small fortune to her. Shit. They need to know how their general situation is going to be. I'm coming back for them. The kids need a home. I can give them that. I know what kids need. They need their mother. They also need school. And friends they can rely on seeing. No. Come on. No, Sid. Judy. No. No. I'm working harder than you would ever believe. Are you? And like Sid Luft is here to say, you know, we need to come together and create some more stability for these children. Yeah, they need to know what their situation is going to be. Yeah, and like, I just, I I, I just, I have so many feelings about it. I do feel for her that she does not have those kids. Like, she's like, I don't want them on stage with me. I don't want them in this business. And I don't want them near the people who run it. But I want them with me. I'm a good mother. Sid Luft was a drunk and a gambler. Apparently not the worst father. Yeah, he he, he he does legitimately have concern for these children. The way Rufus Sewell is playing him, though, so understated. It do, no no. I think that the way he's playing it does kind of paint Sid Luft as maybe his actual first concern isn't the children, but it's more scorning Judy. Who knows? Getting back at Judy, you know. Like the thing is that Judy's behavior is more outrageous than his. I'm I'm not saying it's a contest or anything, but like like her problems are the ones that need dealing with the most uh uh urgently. We're not very far into this marriage at all before Mickey is like, listen, the deal isn't gonna be so hot. <laughs> that deal I promised I was gonna get for you? All that money we were gonna make so that you could go back home. Yeah. 
it's not really going to happen. I tried my best. And Judy is immediately disenchanted entirely with him. Mm-hmm. Because the, the idea of the money's gone. Yeah. I have to go home to my kids. I have to go home. You promised. I tried my best, Judy. Yeah, okay. uh, you promised. Look, I tried to make something happen, but they had other ideas, all right? Why? Why? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, why? Why, Mickey? Showing up late, cursing out the audience. I mean, their wives read about that in the papers. They got cold feet. You promised this was going to be a thing. And he's just like, listen, it doesn't always work out that way, okay? We'll try something else. And she she just absolutely wants nothing to do with him anymore. Yeah, and it just, it gets worse. It just gets worse. It's like she falls deeper into despair. She has another incident on stage. It's so horrific. This one's my least favorite. Yeah. She goes out there to sing San Francisco and she turns on her heels in that dress and she falls down. San Francisco, open your golden gates. Let nobody wait outside your door. San Francisco. No one goes to help her. Nothing. It's silent. Oh, God. I can't even imagine. I do have a beautiful show for you. And then Ross. I know. I die, die, da, 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 da. I can't even imagine. I don't know who these people think they are, but they all start picking up food off their plates and throwing it at her. This actually happened to her. She actually got, like, yeah. food thrown at her. Yes, she did. Like rolls and bits of meat and yeah. lettuce. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Horrific. Absolutely horrific. I have a beautiful show for you. I have a beautiful show for you tonight. I always have a beautiful show for you. You know I do. I always have a beautiful show for you. Always. They just make Lonnie Donegan go on instead. The way she is just lent up against the curtain in the back, breaking down because she's just been physically assaulted by her own audience for probably the first time in her life. Oh my God. It's one thing to be abused by the studio executives, by Louis B. Mayer, by the doctors, by her own mother, but her audience? Her public? One of the few solaces she has in her life. Her audience has turned against her. That's so awful. All right. This is Devastation Checkpoint 2. <laughs> Devastation Station? Uh, uh, you're <laughs> fired! Get out. Get out. I'll do the rest of the episode myself. I mean, hey, this is a lot of you just talking, not looking at notes, just recalling these things from memory. Devastation Station. What the hell do you need me for except to make horrific puns? After the show that night, she gets in one of those little red telephone booths Mm -hmm. and calls home. That's got to be an expensive call in 1969. Yeah, I bet. I I can't even imagine. And little Lorna Luft picks up the phone. Listen, um, I spoke with your papa. And, uh, and he, uh, he feels that you and Joey have a right to know where you're going to be living for the next few years. And, um, I agree 
Lorna Luft portrays what this is actually based on, this little scene here between Judy and Lorna on the phone in her book, Me and My Shadows. A very painful telephone conversation, which was one of the last conversations Lorna ever had with her mother. Oh, no. I knew you were going to hurt me with this. Where, you know, Lorna just had to, as nicely as possible, tell her mother that she would not like to come live with her in England and that she would like to stay in California where she doesn't have to worry about calling the emergency services or replacing her pills with sugar. Like she's finally finding es- some peace. Or escaping a hotel manager every other week. She doesn't have to worry about these things anymore. And she's like, I would like it to stay that way. She lives in a very nice house with her parent who does love her. You know, she gets to go to school. She gets to have friends. Her life is not hectic. And now, yeah, how it's portrayed here is, you know, with Judy being very understanding, apparently in real life, this conversation went very south. Oh, man. And Judy was very, very hurt by what Lorna wanted. And that's because it was another rejection. She'd had her kids in her corner the whole time. And now she felt like, her kids were also backing out of her corner. She's actually living the parallel plot of A Star is Born. A little bit, to yeah. To her character in A Star is Born. She's not the Esther. She's the Norman Maine now. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Yes. And like... God damn you. One of the things that just almost brings me to tears is when Judy's on the phone with Lorna and she's like... Yes, it's nice not to move so much. Would you be okay? Oh, sure. It'll be great. I love you, okay? I I hope you know that. Yeah. The next day, we're having a goodbye lunch with Bert and Rosalind. Okay, Devastation Station, checkpoint three. Because, like, obviously, she's not getting any more chances at this club. Yeah, no, she's fired. She's embarrassed herself for the last time. And, like... Because now, Delphont's gonna sue her. Yeah, for everything she's got. For not fulfilling her contract with them. They have this magnificent looking cake brought out to them when they're having their like little goodbye lunch between her, Rosalind, and Bert. Uh-huh. And they give her a piece of cake, and it's like she almost can't touch it. She's looking at it like it's an alien. Mm-hmm. That's when you remember back to the faux birthday party, when she asks if the cake is real. And she it's can't... almost like she's staring at this piece of cake, wondering if it's real. She's literally turning the plate around, looking at every angle of it. Yeah. And it's like the other two were eating their cake and like staring at her. And she looks like she's about to cry when she puts that first piece of cake in her mouth. And there's this long pause. And she shakes her head a little bit and she just chokes out. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I was just hungry. Here's to you. Are you gonna cry? I'm sorry. Oh, you're gonna cry. Oh, sweet boy. She. I just feel like she had so few moments like that oh. at the end. Oh, honey. And I. It. It just kills me. 
to think that someone this magnificent felt so alone and probably knew that she was close to the end of her life, but didn't know any way to save herself and at the same time knew that no one else was going to save her either. She literally could not have her cake and eat it too. Like, oh, stop. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I know, I know you're, I know you're having a tough time uh, over there, but that, that's literally what it is. She cannot have her cake and eat it. And this is where she asks Rosalind if she can come back with her and see the last show. Oh, yeah. Donnie Lonigan, Lonnie Donigan. <laughs> He's going on in her place tonight. And our boys, our boys, Dan and Stan, are standing at the mo- at the <laughs> box office like, what do the- you mean? not gonna see judy they're outraged <laughs> they are absolutely outraged we paid to see judy garland and we have lonnie donnegan <laughs> and you know judy mosey's on backstage where lonnie's getting ready to go on oh god lonnie yeah do you think could i give him just one song I don't think that I'll be here again. And I didn't do so well at my last show. And Lonnie's like checking his watch. And I don't know. <laughs> and they're announcing him. And he's like, I don't know. I think it's a little too late. And she's like, oh, well, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Lonnie Donegan. It is not Lonnie Donegan that walks out on stage. <laughs> She's walking out there, and Bert is like, what, what, what is happening? Let there be Judy. She goes out there, looks Bert right in the eye, and she says, Well, I'm back. Your choice. Bert picks up Come Rain or Come Shine for her. And this is my favorite Renee performance. Yeah. This is the best song she does, in my opinion. I think she might have practiced most for this specific number. It is a very important number. Because this is where I feel like she's totally Judy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're gonna love me like nobody's loved me. Come rain or come shine. friends are in the audience they're loving her the way they were standing at the box office and they heard her singing and they're like wait wait that's that's her and yeah yeah they, they like run in and they're just they're absolutely loving her and like up in the mezzanine Delphont is standing there like with his hands on his hips like what on earth is she doing i don't think she can help it i'm with you Rosalind this whole film is that I feel like she's just tried to be very matter of fact with Judy you know like yeah. she's just try. it's almost like she's been a parent to Judy throughout this Yeah, you know what I mean uh, and you know what Rosalind's character just I feel like I feel like she just hasn't been as invested as I feel like she could have been Yeah, you know what I mean uh-huh. probably had to keep her at arm's length for, for XYZ you know what I mean she finishes that song 
And and guys. Oh, devastation station checkpoint number four. I'm 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 uh I'm I'm it's my turn to cry. Okay. If we're being honest. Because she she's like, I think I've got one more in me. And she's saying into the microphone the most beautiful thing about this song. This song is about walking towards your dream. And sometimes just the walking has to be enough. Somewhere over the rainbow Way up high There's a land that I've heard of Once in a lullaby just it's like she's it's like we're physically watching her wilt before our eyes yeah i know like the energy is just draining out of her she she stops she stops in the middle of the song goes completely quiet it's probably extremely hard for her to sing that song yeah this song was voted the greatest song of the 20th century she thought it was the best song ever written yeah she did yes she did and she says i can't that joy is gone from her of singing that song somewhere over the rainbow bluebirds And then, guys, Dan stands up and starts singing the song. Yeah, he continues it for her. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue. And then when everyone joins in, oh, these people that were just throwing food at her the other night. Some people are like tearing up a little bit. Yeah. And I'm like, it serves you people right. It's like this is red and black in Les Mis. Yeah. (laughs) We're standing up for Judy. It's so dramatic. And then everybody starts clapping. And she gets up when everyone stands up. I love you all. You won't forget me, will you? Promise you won't. She goes, oh, I love you all. Because I love you all. The way she does in Wizard of Oz. Oh, Oh my God. Cut to black. (laughs) We get title cards. Judy Garland died six months after her London concerts. She was 47. We get another bit of on-screen text that says... A heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh my god. And God, isn't that the truth? And isn't that just so perfectly rounding up her life? Yeah. Is it, doesn't that just so perfectly sum up Judy Garland? 
She was so loved. Uh, like, and, and you know what? She's, and she too loved. She loved hard. And she just wanted someone to tell her she was worth it. Yeah. And she wanted someone to make her feel like she was worth it. And even on, you know, her best nights, she couldn't get that, she felt like, for a lot of her life. Guys, I don't have words big enough to say what this woman means to me. And it's not even because of anything to do with her struggles. Her struggles eventually did end her. But I am just so in awe of who she was as an entertainer. Judy really could do anything. She could sing, she could dance, she could act. She could sell out a multi-level theater for weeks at a time. She was amazing from the time she was two and a half years old. She just melts your little heart. She really was born in a trunk. Backstage is a theater, you know what I mean? At the Princess Theater! <laughs> this film helps me to appreciate all of those times that she was there for everyone else. What is what is it we said at the end of Wizard of Oz? You know, if we can't make it over the rainbow individually... We're going to go over together. We queers will go over together. And she had no one. And that's why I say about the Wizard of Oz, it is a story that makes people think a lot about what they deserve and what sort of happiness they want to make in their own lives. And she deserved so much better. She tried. She tried so hard to get over the rainbow and just felt like she couldn't do it in the end. The journey has to be enough. It makes me thankful, you know, for all the times we can return to her to, you know, go over the rainbow or... You know, have ourselves a merry little Christmas. Or, you know, be in the Easter parade. Be in the Easter parade or meet her in St. Louis or (laughs) talk about the man that got away. Tell us about the time she was born in that trunk. I can't believe she didn't get to do Valley of the Dolls. Oh, buddy. I know. Oh, will you do something for me? What? Would you do something for me? What? Will you play a little bit? Of the Carnegie Hall medley for me? Yeah. The almost like being in love? I'll play the end of it. Play the end of it. Because that just makes me giddy. That's such a good one. Like I said, guys, great movie, not the best. <laughs> well, which is it? Which is it, Ross? It can't be both. It's just kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like in some parts of it, and I think it's the Renee of it all that makes it awkward. Like it's just some of it's just a little bit awkward, but on the whole, an okay movie. It's it's just it's the scariness of the Renee for me. Yeah, I know. I'm caught in this in this tug of war between the weirdness of Renee Zellweger and the genius of Renee Zellweger. You know what I mean? You and most of America. <laughs> and I I mean I think she did the role justice. Absolutely. I think she absolutely did. And guys, like I said at the top of the episode, Friday was Judy Garland's 100th birthday. Yeah, guys, pour one out for Judy this uh, weekend. She'd pour one out for you. You're goddamn certain about that. <laughs> And guys, listen, 
to anyone out there, if you're a listener, if you're queer, or if you struggle with interpersonal relationships or with drug addiction or alcoholism. I mean, I know it's cliche to say this, but there is help. There really is help. Yeah. And that's what we can learn from Judy's life is that it doesn't have to be as helpless. I don't want to write Judy off ever as a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. She was so much more than her struggles, but her we can learn a lot from what happened to her. We can, we learn that it's important to watch out for young people, to make sure they're being taken care of. They're not being exploited and abused by people in positions of authority over them. Yeah. She, her life teaches us to explore our interpersonality a little bit more. She teaches us that her life teaches us that having a home is important. And you should throw as much energy into it as you can to make it good for you and the people that you love. Yeah. Because it's so important to becoming the highest possible version of yourself that you can be. Oh, Ross, that's so sweet. And, like, just this, the, she truly did end up being a queer standard bearer without ever meaning to. Yeah. The people made her in that image. She did not make herself in that image. The people made her in that image. How much you are loved by others. Exactly. It's not about how much you love, but how much you are loved by others. And the wizard, as much of a fraudulent white man he was, <laughs> he was right. I guess. He was absolutely right. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, guys, we only cried once. <laughs> Yay. I remember that being significantly less crying than the first time we recorded this. You know what? Maybe you'll get the old episode back before Monday. Maybe I will. And maybe you can compare and see what you like. But, <laughs> I uh, doubt it. I don't know. Oh, God. But guys, thanks for sticking around for that. I, uh, uh, I'm sad. I I'm know. sad that we won't get to talk about Judy again for a long time. But I know. It'll be okay. We'll, I, we'll do something with her outside the timeline. On the Patreon, perhaps? I could go on singing, which is literally Judy Garland playing a woman <laughs> who is literally her. Okay, I thought you were threatening to do show tunes on the Patreon. I, I could go on singing. No, that's a Judy Garland film. And guys, next week, we will be covering the 2002 adaptation of Michael Cunningham's award-winning novel, The Hours. <laughs> Which case, should be called The Days, because it's very long. <laughs> it is long. And guys, you know what? I've been waiting forever to do this movie. I'm excited for it. You guys might be turning it off halfway through. I don't know. It but... is big depressing. Uh, but queer subtext again. Queer subtext. Queer subtext. Queer subtext. Here's the thing. It's not even subtext. It's like in your face. Yeah, no, it's pretty in your face. <laughs> Look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little queer watch party. Yay! More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom.